0: Right, ladies and gentlemen alan has just arrived a little late uh because you were stuck in traffic right yeah with the opening up of the state the opening up all right well there, i'm dustin bass I, I, and i'm alan joaquin <laughs> and, and i was going to be finish ashamed. the story yeah you i did mean, not want you to finish it that's why i cut you off yeah, i
1: cut you know i finished work and then i i got in my car and boom there was traffic yeah and i was like what is this what you know, I mean, I've been enjoying traffic. What did you
0: do before you, before you got in your car? I was working. Yeah? Yeah. And, and in between that?
1: Between, between the time I yeah. was working and getting in my car, yeah. I had to put up a few things. Yeah? Yeah. Computers. I had two computers. I had to put so up. So you were at
0: work in your shorts and t-shirt?
1: No, I worked from home today. Did you? Yeah. I thought you were at work today. No, I would have gotten here in half an Why hour. Why didn't you
0: just come to my house and just stay there?
1: Why? Well, look, I had stuff I had to do, okay? Thank
2: you very
0: much. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a really, really fun conversation. (laughs) We have a very special guest on the show today, Connor Boyack, and he is the founder of Tuttle Twins. Now, there's a good chance that you've heard of the Tuttle Twins. It is kids' books, but like super highly intellectual, educational um, books about the law, about the Federal Reserve, about economics, all this stuff in a fun, engaging way uh, for kids to learn it. Uh, so this isn't, this, is,
1: this isn't about Tuttle from MASH, the uh, doctor that uh, Hotlips Houlihan was supposed to be in love with? You're going to continue that? Um, I think people in my generation, they know who Tuttle is. Yeah. I mm-hmm. know. I know.
0: Yeah. So I don't. Hey, listen. we tra-
1: we're Hold trying, on. Hold on. Hold on. Trying who trying was
0: to... Tuttle? Because I have to admit, um, mm-hmm. with my grandparents... Mm-hmm. God rest their souls Tuttle, before they passed. I did watch them. I did watch Mash every once in a while.
1: Tuttle was a fake doctor who did. He did not exist. Uh, he was a, a creation by a Hawkeye and Trapper. And when they did a description of him, they decided to make him look very, uh, you know, the kind of guy that Hot Lips would fall in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Tuttle's my friend." Um, You know, there was oh, I just had dinner with Tuttle last night. (laughs) You know, (laughs) because they were trying to make it look like they were in with him. Yeah, but they did it because um, all this money that was uh, supposed to go to the orphanage it was being brought in by the by the uh, army um, by accident. So they didn't know what to do with all that money, so they decided to give it to the orphanage, and then they had this fake Tuttle so that they can account for the money.
0: Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, it's a very funny episode. I can only imagine. I can only imagine the wild times. <laughs> Who is was it? Um, Alan Alda? Yeah. Is that his name?
1: This was Alan Alda, and you had um, Wayne... I want to say Wayne Newton, but that doesn't sound no,
0: right. No, it's not. It's, the, uh, I was actually going to joke Newton, but yeah. you said it. It's... Uh, I, it it doesn't original, matter. It was Look, the original I'm Trapper. Surprised, yeah the I'm surprised Trapper. that you don't have the IMDB pulled up, and you're reading off every single name. Well. um, so man, are you, uh, are you looking forward to this conversation? What yeah. Do you, what, you've looked at you've looked at the books. What do you What do you think? Um, what do you think of them when you're when you're looking at them? So sort of, I'm I'm like man, why didn't I have these other than just like the Bernstein Bears?
1: Well, you know, when I saw the nothing so... against the Bernstein Bears. No, 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 no. I mean, I like the Bernstein Bears. They were they're pretty cool. Um, there, there's a lot of books when I was a kid that I liked. Mm, uh, curious Br- George, Br- Br- Rabbit. Um, what's that? Uh, I I don't even remember. No, you don't. Um, the Disney's and the yeah, the ones that you mentioned, <laughs> the Bugs Bunny and whatnot. But um, yeah, no, the first one that caught my eye was about Jekyll Island, and mm-hmm. I remember a story that this uh, this old man that I used to know who was with the CIA, and he used to tell me about all these conspiracies and how Jekyll Island was home of the Federal Reserve and you know all these secret.
0: Are um, you talking about like your real life? Like an old man that you knew who was part of the CIA?
1: Yeah, yeah. I really, I knew him. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I knew an old man. Why haven't you told me this before? He never asked. He actually. How was I supposed to ask? Hey, man, I got a question. Do you happen to know an old man who used to be part of the CIA? I guess I could have asked that question. He
1: could have asked me a question like that. No, he was actually a pretty interesting fellow. He Mm -hmm. participated in the operation into Iran in 1980 to rescue the American hostages when uh, I think there were like two helicopters that collided and eight of our guys were killed. He was Mm. there. So
0: Interesting. Yeah,
1: so he told me a lot of fascinating stories.
0: Well, you're going to hear a very fascinating story when we get Connor on the line. Uh, It's going to be a really good conversation. I anticipate greatness coming up. So I'm looking
1: forward to it. Yeah,
0: so let's get him on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Connor Boyack on the line. He is the creator of the Tuttle Twins. And Connor, how are you doing, man?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: You got it. Um, we're really excited uh, about having you. I ran across you um, and the Tuttle Twins through Instagram. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this, this is exactly who we need on the show um, because of the things that you create. Uh, Because we talk a lot about education and and where it is today and sort of uh, how kids are not being taught well and really almost not being taught anything when it comes to U.S. history. Uh, So definitely wanted to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, And just to get started, how about you tell us when and why you did start writing the Tuttle Twins, what Tuttle Twins is all about And then we'll also uh, talk about your I think your new creation uh, Or new edition of the teens version, but let's start with Why when and uh, what they're all about?
2: Yeah, so I call myself a full-time freedom fighter. I uh, run a think tank uh, And we are in the business of changing hearts minds and laws in favor of freedom. We've changed dozens of laws We've done some really big campaigns and we're all about trying to uh, strategically and actually uh, work toward having more freedom, and uh, been at it for eight nine years now. But I'm also the dad of uh, two kids, and several years ago when they were younger, I found myself wanting to, you know, come home each night and share with my kids what I did that day, just as I asked them, "Hey, you know, tell me what you did today." Mm-hmm. But lacking the vocabulary to figure out how do you talk to an eight year old about eminent domain. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you talk to a six-year-old about this? You know, mayor who's being a protectionist and passing this city ordinance that prevents food trucks from coming because he wants to protect his buddy who, you know, has a, a restaurant. Hmm. And uh, and so, you know, how do you articulate stuff like that to kids? Other other than just like, oh, I work on computers and I work with the government. Like mm-hmm. I, I wanted to teach them, you know, the ideas that I believe in and was working on. So like any parent would, I went on Amazon. <laughs> there like, we go. what, what books are out there that, you know, talk about this stuff. So I could use that to to talk to my kids and there was nothing. And I spent, you know, maybe a week or two, uh, being kind of bummed and frustrated that oh, if only there were something that'd be really useful for me. And then I finally came to the conclusion of, wait a minute, you idiot. You talk about entrepreneurship all the time. Hmm. Uh, why, why don't you solve that problem? So uh buddy of mine who's very creative we wanted to work together on some kind of project and i approached him he also had little kids very like-minded and uh we decided you know what let's try to you know make just one book and see mm-hmm. what happens and so uh we did uh the response was very positive and uh that to us was kind of a market signal that we were onto something so we just kept making books we've got 11 children's books now and haven't looked back for me like the the, you know why I get up in the morning why I do this kind of stuff is um, basically if I just look through my email inbox it's Mm -hmm. all these messages from parents who are so enthusiastic so excited so grateful that like they're having these amazing conversations with their kids about the way the world works and you know the ideas that are behind all the current events Mm -hmm. and the stuff happening like what are the Principles and what's the philosophy, and they can have these enriching, meaningful dialogues with their kids, even when they're at the grocery store. Why are there 83 kinds of potato chips? Hmm. You know, like there's a principle there. Let's talk about spontaneous order that there's no, you know, pencil, ch- uh, potato chip, uh, you know, president or czar who's in charge of all that, right? This is right. a free market. And so those are the things that excite me. So many parents have lacked the ability until now to really kind of facilitate that dialogue. And and most parents probably feel incapable of doing so on their own. And so for us, we're really trying to start those really meaningful conversations uh, between parents and kids about the ideas of a free society.
0: That is awesome. Um, And when did your first when did the first book come out?
2: I believe that was in mid 2014, so it's been about six years now.
0: All right, which one was that?
2: So that was the Tuttle Twins learn about the law, and we we picked. So we picked that one because each of our books in the children's series are based on an original book. We had the idea of like we want to introduce the rising generation to all these classic, you know, free market type of books and essays, um, and so we. The we being uh, Elijah and I, the illustrator, were like, okay, if we only do one book, if this project doesn't catch on, if, if no one buys it, you know, we want to just do one book. What should it be? And for both of us, we were very influenced by this essay called "The Law" by Frederick Bastiat. Very, very, yeah. very famous, very, very good read. You can find it for free online. And it's all about, you know, ethics and morality and justice and law and just really distilling down the key principles. It was written in 1850 by this French economist, uh, Frederick Bastiat, but the principles relate to everyone at all time and all places. And uh, and so we said, you know, we, we want to kind of honor Bastiat. And, and, you know, that was a very powerful essay for us. And so – Uh, So we kind of turn that into a kid's version. We we basically take the principles from the original text, uh, identify, you know, six to eight different ideas we want to talk about. We wrap them in kind of a fun story through which the ideas can be introduced along the way in kind of an organic fashion rather than like, you know, textbook, here's the definition and here's what it means, right? Right. We want them to kind of see, you know, and observe how these ideas work. And Mm so, as I said, you know, that was the first book and, and, I remember, as I talk about the market signal that the book was selling, and uh, that to us was like a signal to continue. Probably the biggest signal I remember from that day, or from that kind of period of time, I was at a conference called Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. It's a kind of annual libertarian type free market conference, Mm -hmm. and I had a booth, and I'm sitting there selling the books, and. Uh, meanwhile, I had a little you know crappy e commerce website that I had built in the early days, and uh every you know hour or two or three, I would get an order uh that would kind of come in and I get the notification on my phone Well, I'm sitting in this booth, and you know people are buying the book I'm chatting with folks It was great, but then I get this notification on the phone and it says "Carol Paul has bought I think it was like fifty copies of the book, mm-hmm. like Carol Paul, that name's familiar. I realize this is Congressman Ron Paul's wife yeah." And, and so I touched base with them and they bought the book for all their grandkids and everything. I'm like, oh man, that's super cool. And so that to me was like, hey, we're on to something fun. We should keep doing it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I saw on your website that um, you, you, you do sort of, uh, I guess, touches on from you know famous Ron Paul is one of those uh, that you sort of do an illustration on, right?
2: Yeah, we ended up – I think it was our sixth book in the series. We did it all about the golden rule and the non-aggression principle and even a little foreign policy, which relates. And, And so that book is based on a book by Ron Paul called The Foreign Policy of Freedom which is a compilation of all of his congressional speeches talking about that we need a humble foreign policy, that we should be nation building, that we should treat other people, even in other countries, the way we would want them to treat us, which mm-hmm. is you know, the golden rule on a global stage. So uh, we wanted to kind of talk about those ideas, and that felt to us like a, a fun book to use to, to point our readers to, to say, hey, if you want to keep thinking about these ideas, go, go check out this original book.
0: That's amazing. So tell our audience, uh, what is sort of the creative process, um, for, for you and Elijah Stanfield, your, uh, illustrator and also who are Ethan and Emily? So when I created, uh,
2: the book, I wanted twins. I wanted, uh, both a boy and a girl just so that, you know, boys and girls could both have a, a character to relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, Ethan and Emily became kind of our, our fictional, protagonists that would kind of learn and experience. And they're basically a projection of, of, of the reader because these kids, Ethan and Emily are going through life, learning about these ideas. They're being taught by their parents or their neighbor, Fred, or their teacher or whatever. Um, and so our young readers um, see, ideally, they see themselves in Ethan or in Emily. And as those characters ask these Questions And, you know, what is inflation and why does it matter? Why is it stealing grandpa's money or why is this law wrong? Um, Our readers can project themselves into that situation and basically kind of pretend, if you will, to be Ethan or to be Emily. And in the process, they're more receptive to learning and and receiving the answers uh, themselves that Ethan and Emily are receiving in the book. And so uh, it's actually been a very effective way for us to do that and and communicate these ideas to kids. Parents routinely uh, contact us and say how amazed they are that their kids are understanding these like complex ideas that even most adults, frankly, don't even understand. Mm -hmm. And and so the formula seems to be working pretty well. Um, I will say in terms of the creative process, which you asked about, it's it's rather... um, I mean, not difficult, but but it's it's very involved in the sense that, you know, I've written a number of books for adults, and I'll just sit down and write, and it's like the way I would speak and the way I think, and I just kind of like stream of consciousness, you know, kind of type and, and share my thoughts. But when you're doing a kid's book, you know, it's quite different mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, you have to simplify things, but not to the point of, like, dumbing them down, right? You right. you don't want to, like, demean your reader. You don't want to treat them like they're a buffoon or they're, a, you know, even a, an ignorant, you know, child because um, you think of, like, some of the most effective uh you know cartoons or cartoon movies like the simpsons or uh, a lot of pixar you know animations and so forth it's entertaining and informative for the young people but it's it's likewise stimulating for the adults right and the whole family can enjoy and learn and experience you know, that type of content together. Cause like there's the adult humor and the, you know, kid humor and adventure. So that's kind of the strategy that we sought to employ in the sense that we wanted parents and kids reading it together to be able to both benefit and find it intriguing and engaging. And so it's a little bit, uh, you kind of have to, you know, you do a draft of the script and then you, Go over it again and again and again and again yeah. to be like how how can I you know simplify this word? It's a little too complex for an eight-year-old reading alone to understand, or how can I have a little bit of you know humor or a little bit of levity here? And um, how can I you know we do a lot of like Easter eggs in our stories, so we're always finding ways, like especially in the illustrations, to have little Easter eggs that are maybe callbacks to another book in our series or something like that, where people can kind of identify and have fun trying to find those. Uh, So it's a fun process. Uh, Elijah uh, is an amazing illustrator. And uh, what I especially love is I could have found any illustrator out there and just told them, like, here's what I want you to draw. Mm -hmm. But Elijah is very like minded. And I give him a a long leash uh, uh, of creative control in the sense that, you know, as as he reads what I write, he'll come to me and say, oh, hey, what if we, you know, said this paragraph this way, because then it would allow me to more visually, you know, depict what we're talking about. And so I often change quite a bit of what's in my script based on his input. Um, And he comes up with really effective ways at illustrating, you know, the concepts. So he gives me a lot of input on the script. I give him very little input on the designs because he's just so good at coming up with these, Uh, unique and compelling ways to depict, you know, what the story is talking about. So we have a great working relationship. Um, He's a great guy, very like-minded. And uh, at this point, it's kind of like a well-oiled machine, right? We've done 11 of these kids' books. And so every time we do it, we kind of have the the system down a little bit more that that makes it easier for each next one.
0: Yeah. So your website, so ladies and gentlemen, if you go to the website, TuttleTwins.com, it's T-U-T-T-L-E. Um, the first thing you'll see is a video that pops up, um, and it says the ideas of a free society for kids. Connor, when you say ideas of a free society, what do you mean?
2: Well, you know, freedom is kind of like a spectrum. Uh, we basically don't have freedom right now. We, we talk Mm -hmm. about that. We live in the land of a free, of the free and. Uh, we're grateful for our freedoms and all this kind of thing, but we don't really have freedom. We have you know, very regulated and, and controlled uh, aspect of freedom. The ideas of a free society, in my mind, and kind of the philosophy that guides our work is that individuals should be able to do whatever they want as long as it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. As long as you are not harming anyone else, you're not intruding on anyone else's rights, you shouldn't have to get permission slips from the government. You shouldn't have to pay the government money. You shouldn't be prevented by the government under threat of criminal penalty. You know, if you're a little girl wanting to do a lemonade stand, you ought to be able to do that and not have to buy an eighty-dollar permission slip from the local city, who you, you know, persuade to give you the the, the permission to do it on your own property. Like mm-hmm. these things are absurd; they're they're uh, immoral restrictions in our view. And so, you know, we need to free markets. Economics is a very heavy. Um, portion of of the material. It's not just political. In fact, I'd say it's mostly economic that we discuss. And of course, you know, the free market is one in which people can buy and sell and be able to interact uh, one with another without, Intermediaries in the middle uh, dictating the terms of their agreement without preventing them from being able to trade, uh, you know, not requiring someone to obtain an occupational license to, you know, cut someone's hair and things like this. So um, economics is very important to us. Free, you can't have freedom without a free market uh, and people having the unfettered ability to, you know, transact with consenting customers. Um, so, so those are the ideas. They're they're political and economic and civic concepts that all kind of stem out of this notion that we should be able to do what we want and government ideally as the declaration says is designed to secure our rights it's not to give us rights it's not to empower the government to be a nanny state and you know allow us under uh, certain circumstances with permission slips and payments to be able to do what we want it's we have inherent rights and the government is only justly uh empowered to help protect those rights of course that's not the government we have today as as nice as the declaration sounds we've deviated almost completely from it uh but but the ideas are are, you know time tested they're applicable everywhere like we translate our books in about a dozen languages right now we got a ton of people in like italy and brazil and uh especially germany and and france and all these countries reading our books in their language because these ideas uh, are, are global. They're, they're, uh, perennial. They uh, apply to all people at all time and all places. And so it's, it's something that, uh, we think, you know, has animated, uh, freedom loving people for a long time. And, and with our books, now the rising generation can be likewise animated.
1: I hear usually, uh, two major rebuttals that are always thrown in my face. Um, now before I mention them to you, I was going to ask you, uh, the name Tuttle, is that a mash thing? Where'd you get that from?
2: <laughs> that was mostly just that uh, you, you'll understand why I laugh in just a second. When I started uh, creating the project, I thought, you know, I want Ethan and Emily, as I said, I want a boy and a girl, and it would be easiest if they were twins. And uh, so then I thought, you know, it would be fun to have alliteration. So their last name would also start with a T. And so I started thinking of, like, hey, okay, what are the common last names with a T? And, and then what I would do, I had a list of like eight to 10. Last names that are, you know, simple enough for kids to pronounce and they don't sound weird and stuff like that. And all I was doing is I started uh, going to I I started Googling those terms, you know, Thompson twins and the Taylor twins. And, you know, I had two criteria. Number one is, is the dot com domain name available? Mm -hmm. Um, And for most of them, it was taken. But number two, are there any people by that name, you know, twins by that name, that are just cluttering the the search results. Cause they're like celebrities, right. Or whatever. Well, one of them, it was a set of uh, playboy twins. <laughs> and so uh, I'm like, uh, maybe I'll not use, I don't even remember what it was, it was years ago now, but I remember coming across these like models and it's like, no, we're not going to use that one. Mm-hmm. So we, we landed on turtle. The, the. Com was available. It's easy to pronounce. Sounded good. There wasn't really much in, in Google for, you know, people with that name. And so, uh, so it's stuck for strategic reasons.
1: Okay. Well, here's here's the um, the rebuttals that I hear. A rebuttal sounds like total, doesn't it? Yeah, really. hey, the total. Tuttle tuttle very rebuttal. clever. The yeah. total rebuttal. Here we go. He brought his A game today. Yeah, I did. All right. So uh, the argument and that's being used today, say with the uh, masks and with the uh, with the pandemic going on, is that that your freedom has a negative impact on my life. Um, whatever it could be, let's say music uh the music you play is offensive or the pictures the book you're reading offends me or your uh, your crucifix offends me So how do you how do you answer something like that because it is being used today with uh, there's an argument here in Texas for instance about opening up businesses or masks and uh, uh, those people not wanting to wear masks and those people are being scolded by the others saying that you are, keeping the pandemic going so and then i'll ask you the other uh, the the other total rebuttal
2: (laughs) so so here's the total rebuttal uh no this is a good question and it gets again to those ideas of a free society in the early days of the american experiment the framers of the you know constitution classical liberals There was this conception, and I I would argue still is uh, morally a proper conception, that our rights are what's called negative rights. So there's negative rights and positive rights. Mm -hmm. A negative right is I have the right to basically be left alone. I have the right for something to not happen. Positive rights, the the concept of positive rights is, is the opposite. It's the inverse. It's that I have the right. For something to happen for me or to me. Mm-hmm. So he, the, the way to think about it is, is that rights always entail duties. Wherever there's a right, there's a duty. Now for negative rights, a, a right to have something not happen, the duty is a negative one. It, it's not that people have to do something. It's just that people need to not do something. I have the right to uh, to, to, you know, not be injured. So others have a duty not to injure me. Mm -hmm. I have the, the right to, you know, free speech and to not be limited my free speech. So others have a duty to not do anything, not shut me down, not, you know, stop me from protesting. These are negative rights and negative duties. We're not asking anyone to do anything, right? I I just have the right to do whatever I want. And and you guys need to stay out of my way. You, You don't have to do anything. It's all negative in the sense that there's no, you know, action required that this is the concept of rights that was enshrined in our founding documents. It's pre-existing rights. It's it's negative rights to be left alone to do things that we already allow are allowed to do before government even exists by virtue of being born or from God or however you want to describe these inherent and inalienable rights. They're negative rights. Well, what the, the left, the progressives, the social justice warriors, whatever nickname you want to you know, give to these horribly misguided people, um, they believe in positive rights. Now, positive rights entail positive duties. If I have the right under the USSR Constitution, as it said, to be cared for if I'm sick or cared for in my old age or cared for you know, if I'm out of a job, that is a positive right or a claimed positive right. I have the right for people to give me things. I need money. I need housing. I need health care services. I need food. And so that then, of course, creates a duty on the part of someone else to provide me those things. If I have the right, says Bernie Sanders, to a home... I guess not three homes like he yeah. has, but we'll just say,
0: you know, if hey, I have one of them's a lake house,
2: <laughs> <laughs> if I have the right to a home, then someone has a duty to give me a home
0: mm-hmm.
2: or banks have a duty to, you know, give me a loan at a certain rate. And that creates an economic moral hazard, you know, or if, if I have the right to college to a free college tuition then someone else has this magical duty all of a sudden to pay for that because those college professors aren't showing up and the janitors aren't showing up and no one's showing up unless they're being paid to sustain the system so that is the whole problem with the i'll call it the left even though i hate the left right uh duality Um, But it's the problem with the left in the sense that they've completely inverted things from the way they properly are. There aren't positive rights. There aren't positive duties. Now, the government can compel these things. They can write a few magic words in their law or in their constitution, even as in the case of the USSR. They can put these things on paper. They can magically say, hey, you now have these rights. And then, of course, by law, by government force, they will back up the duties that they now uh, impose on all the taxpayers or on doctors to provide health care or insurance companies to give out insurance, banks, and so on and so forth. And they will back with a threat of force against those who are now finding themselves in a position of providing a duty that they otherwise, if left to their own devices – would not be required to do and might choose not to do because it's in their best interest for financial reasons or moral reasons or whatever reasons to not do those things. So that is the problem with our society. That is the problem with our government in the sense that we've completely flipped the model of rights. And so the total rebuttal, quite frankly, is that... You know, people think that they have the right to comfort, they have the right to health, and not be, you know, catch a contagious disease. Well, I'm sorry, if you're at all concerned, then you are the one to stay home. I do not have a duty to modify my activities, to shut down my business or whatever. If you want to mitigate risk on your own, then you are welcome to stay home. You're, will, you're, you're welcome to manage your own uh, responsibility in a way that will mitigate risk in a way that you want but I don't have the right to change my behavior to provide you a certain level of
1: comfort. And he and I had our had our little discussions, and his belief was that individual freedom interferes with how civilization and society can positively grow. Um, that if we do things, um, he didn't quite use the word collective, but I was ready ready for him to use that word. But if we if we do things for the, the community rather than for our selfish individual selves then the community itself will gain from it in the long run for instance you know um, if there's gangsters who if we do pay them to behave in the long run it benefits society what's your thoughts on that
2: So, you know, there's this whole concept of the social contract that, you know, there are certain things that just are allowed to be done by virtue of the fact that we live in a group uh, and uh, we live among our peers. Therefore, you know, we have to go along to get along and whatever the collective determines is necessary. The, The problem is who gets to make those decisions. In my mind, this all breaks down. When uh, you start to poke at the assumptions that are made upon which your buddies claim or other claims are that well here's what's in the best interest of society here's what best benefits the collective well maybe we can all agree in certain obvious cases that you know the collective has benefited when no one is you know setting up a nuclear reactor in the middle of a residential neighborhood but what happens when that same argument is applied by the same city council to You know, you can't have an ice cream truck driving down the neighborhood or you aren't allowed to have a lemonade stand or you can't do Airbnb in your basement because, you know what, this is what the collective wants. This is I I represent the the collective. I am now uh, placed in a decision making process to represent what is best for everyone. Outside of the like obvious edge cases where everyone can agree, it comes down to personal preferences. People want to use their property in different ways. They want to do different things. They have different desires and outcomes that they're pursuing. Um, and, and that's rational, and that's fine. That's human society. But then government comes around and puts the thumb on the scale and says, oh, we are claiming to speak on behalf of everyone. And in so doing, we're going to bless this type of activity, but not this type of activity. And if you do this, you're going to go to jail. And, and that's where I think uh, the system breaks down, the argument breaks down that collectivism doesn't really work because really it's just authoritarianism. And it's a question of who's an authority, mm-hmm. uh, who gets to oppose, impose their preferences and their will on everyone else. And uh, and so I, I just don't think that outside, again, the, the very obvious cases where, uh, you know, this kind of collective action or, or whatever is fine, where we all kind of support, you know, they're not being criminals. Uh, the problem is that the ideas, the, the argument, they try to extend to all sorts of other situations where collectivism is, is not only uh, wrong, it's, it's actually harmful.
0: All right. So, Alan, you're good? Did you get your total rebuttals in? Mm-hmm. I okay. The total now, rebuttal he, in. now he knows where to stand against his uh, <laughs> uh, almost state congressman. All right. So getting back on the books real quick, um, and I think we sort of touched on this. Like parents are, you know, parents are going nuts. Like go on your website, go on um, on the re- on reviews, like on Amazon, um, and people leaving comments on on Facebook and everything. It just Um, you got a ton of followers on Instagram and it's these, these parents that are really energetic about what their kids are learning at the same time, what they're learning. Um, why is that so important for parents to be involved in the education process of their kids?
2: Oh, I love the question. So, you know, when we started doing the Tuttle Twins, it was just about making kids books and that's what we thought we were doing. Uh, Instead, what we came to learn is that we were creating family learning experiences. Uh, Certainly, this is all new to the kids because they're young and they've never been taught this stuff. But what we didn't really realize when we started this project is how many of the adults that likewise applies to. We get messages, and I'm not embellishing in the slightest. Literally every day, we are contacted by one or more parents saying, oh, my gosh, I never learned this Mm -hmm. or Man, they never taught me that in school, or I never knew these things. I just had a a grandma a couple days ago. Uh, Right now, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of all this coronavirus, you know, lockdown stuff. And so this grandma said, I ordered a set of Tuttle Twins books for me (laughs) and then a set for my grandkids. And because I can't be with them, I read to them over uh, FaceTime with our phones. And so the kids read out of their book and follow along. She reads out loud to them, and that's kind of their bonding experience she said i think she was 72 years old she said to me and she said connor uh, she said all these other nice things including like it was time to go swim in the pool and they said no because they wanted to keep reading the book and she's like they never say no to pool time you know and so she's like saying that but then she says connor i didn't learn this stuff she's like i had no clue for example she was talking about the our creature from the Jekyll island book. she's like i had no clue about the federal reserve and how it worked and what it does and i'm 72 yeah. And and like no one ever taught me this stuff, and and that to me is is evidence of the fact that so many people grew up not understanding these ideas of free society, not understanding things like, you know, inflation and the Federal Reserve and where our money comes from and why is, you know it should be uh, how uh, sound money is and all this kind of stuff, and and so I realized it was just only maybe three or four years ago that I had kind of a mind shift that I'm like yes we're educating kids but oh. Like we're we're reaching so many adults, and the adults and kids are learning together. They're talking about what do we think, and you know, what do you think about what we read, and and, and do we disagree, or what what's happening in current events that kind of relate to this? And uh, you know, they're driving to school, they're running errands, they're talking about in the car, thinking it's something they hear on news it reminds them of something they read in the Tuttle Twins book a year ago, and they're talking about it because they remember learning about you know collectivism or whatever. Um, so, so it's just, we're, we're, facilitating these family learning experiences and that applies, I think, just as much in so many cases to the adults. Uh, there are a number of adults out there certainly who get our books who are already well-versed in these concepts, but like me, they didn't really know how to talk to their kids about them. And those are the parents that we especially see on social media just kind of beaming with pride where they believe these ideas. They're passionate about them. They think they're right and moral and true. And now they're so excited to have a way that they can kind of pass that on to their children, help Mm -hmm. their children understand and and evaluate these things. So it's just a super fun project to, to be working in where there's that many parents who are jazzed about finding books like that that can really kind of help those conversations happen.
0: Yeah. So now 90% of kids are going to public education uh, schools. Uh, and like you said, this lady, 72 years old is like, I, I don't even, I don't even, I've never even been taught this stuff. And that, that's pretty much par for the course for most people, including myself. Um, and I went to a private school, but um, I don't even want to talk about that. That place doesn't even exist anymore. And for good reason. Anyways, we'll move on. But what is it that public education is getting wrong?
2: well the problem
0: that's a loaded <laughs> the, question i'm sure <laughs> the, well
2: it, it, it's funny it's like you know the, the problem in my mind is that public education exists mm-hmm. uh number one it's not you know we, we use these terms public i i personally I hate the term mm-hmm. public parks or public property or or public roads or public education it's not public it's government yeah. uh it, these are government schools and so can we really expect Uh, Government schools to teach ideas about why the government is bad or harmful or destructive. It's an interesting exercise if you ever want to see this. uh, It's especially easy if you go uh, by history books from, you know, say a social studies history book in America. That talks about, you know, like a 20th century kind of history, World War II, for example, specifically, and then go get one, you know, from Japan or get one from Germany or whatever. And you start running this stuff through Google Translate or you get a buddy who can read it for you or whatever. You start to realize that, oh, super interesting, different go- governments are saying things differently about things that happened in the past, right? It's the victors of wars that get to write the history of the way that happened. And, and so the government has an interest in controlling its narrative that uh, benefits itself. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in my mind, the problem is that so many parents are willing to surrender to their government the, the evolutionary, most formative years of their children's intellectual development uh, you look at how the the system is pumping out these teenagers who are apathetic, indifferent, ignorant. They have to take even remedial English and math at college just to even like catch up. the The system is horribly failing and large, um, and especially from a civic standpoint, where where kids just are not taught not not just like who's in Congress and who's the president and what are the three branches of government and all the basic civic stuff, but like philosophy right economics some of the stuff about the way the world works and so in my mind it's just the system itself and especially if you read john taylor gatto you read a book like uh, the underground history of of american education or dumbing us down this is all intentional this is not a happy little accident as bob ross might call it this is not a a, ah shucks you know look what happened there are architects of this very system who intentionally designed it the way it is to try and subvert individual autonomy and support uh, the consolidation of power within the state. Uh, so, so it's happening, frankly, according to the designs of those who have, have done it. And to parents, I say, look, you can't homeschool, you can't afford private school, totally get it, I understand. Not every parent can, can reject that system and find a, a different alternative. I understand. Mm-hmm. I am a product of public uh, – edu- uh, oh, there I go again. There Government go. education myself, right? I'm brainwashed. I can't uh, not say public. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a product of the system, and, and so I understand. However, uh, we cannot win a war that we don't even know is being fought. Yeah. If parents don't realize that there is basically a contest going on, a campaign to, uh, to win the affection and attention and loyalty and, and, uh, and, and affiliation of the rising generation. Then you don't really understand what's happening and you can't know what to do to counteract it. So, look, if you're going to go to a government schools, fine, I understand. But be aware that the system is set up in such a way uh, that it's not, not only not going to teach kids, for example, free market economics, the ideas of a free society, classical liberal philosophy and all this kind of stuff. Not only is it not going to do that, it's going to teach the exact opposite. It's going to teach things like I have on my on my desk over here, a stack of social studies books that all talk about positive rights. The government did all these things. People benefited. It was Mm -hmm. wonderful for them. Yay. Um, So that in my mind, that's the war we're up against. Parents need to be aware that it's happening so that we can at least be on the defense. Even if your kids got to go to government schools, at least defend them, give them a shield so that they're just not assaulted with all these awful ideas.
0: Now, I know you only got a couple of minutes left to be with us, so I want to ask uh, maybe the last question. But do you think this current pandemic situation has shown the effects of what the education system has produced?
2: Oh, wow. So, you know, all these parents have become, I don't even call them homeschoolers, they're more like crisis schoolers. But but I have heard from so many parents in the past few weeks that are just baffled. Why Mm -hmm. are they baffled? Well, number one, they're stressed, they're having to like, Teach all the things to all the kids, and you know all the ways that the teachers demand. And when you have multiple kids, that's just a lot to juggle. So they're stressed, but they're also baffled because they're like, even with all this stuff, my kid gets through all their assignments and everything within like two or three hours, and then mm-hmm. they have the rest of the day to themselves. Why are they at school for six or seven hours? You know, like yeah. what do they do? what do they do there? What's on the my brother has
0: the same exact complaint.
2: Yeah, and so does my so,
0: so does Jared, my uh, the guy who owns the business with me.
2: I, I just kind of wonder and, and hope that, uh, in fact, we just sent an email about this, uh, I believe, yesterday or today to our Tuttle Twins list. And that is uh, there's a new uh, poll that came out showing that parents going through all these uh, crisis schooling problems, 52% of them now have a more favorable view of homeschooling. Uh, you'd think mm. that a lot of them are stressed and it's drudgery and oh, I need to offload my kids, get them back to this babysitting that we call government school. And and sure, there are many like that, but 52% have a more favorable uh, view of homeschool. It really makes me... Kind of excited at the silver lining in the coronavirus cloud mm-hmm. uh, that maybe the future of education is going to look at it a little different. Even if just 1% of that 52% decide to actually homeschool, that is a significant number of children nationwide uh, who won't be returning to school in the fall. And, uh, and for those who do go to government schools, I hope that we're now going to see more flexibility. It's not going to be, you know, butts in seats and sitting in class all the time. Maybe there's going to be more at home and online options, flexible schedules, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it.
0: All right. So last question, because we're coming up on the end. Um, I know that the Austrian school of economics has greatly influenced you and I would assume Elijah as well. So last question who if you had to choose, who would you choose? Milton Friedman or Frederick Hayek? Uh,
2: you know I, <laughs> I am partial <laughs> I am partial to Friedman because I think he was the better storyteller. I think uh, FA Hayek was was the smarter guy and, and more often more correct. Uh, but Friedman did a lot of good telling a lot of great stories that captivated a lot of minds in a way that, you know, as good as economics and one lesson is, and F.A. Hayek was a great writer. And uh, I just am a little more partial to Friedman because I think he was able to tell the stories of freedom a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I have to agree. I love listening to Milton Friedman. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Connor Boyack. Uh, he is the founder of the Tuttle Twins. You can go visit the website, com, purchase the books. Uh, I think they've got a sell going on for the whole set. There's also a teen version. Uh, I think there are about four books out uh, for that version. I highly, we highly encourage you to go check those out and make those purchases. Um, Connor, thanks again for joining us. We really greatly appreciate it.
2: Hey, thanks to both of you. Thanks for having me on. Thank
1: you, Connor. You got it, man. We enjoyed it very much.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Connor Boyack over at the Tuttle Twins. He is located over in Utah. Um. So, check out the website, totaltwins.com, T-U-T-T-L-E-T-W-I-N-S.com. Alan, what did you think about the conversation?
1: Uh, I liked the part where he said that he was trying to find something for his kids, and he couldn't. And he's like, hey, why don't I do it? Exactly. I mean, is not he not a free market kind
0: of guy? That is
1: 100%. There you go. 100%. You find, uh, find a need that's not being met. Mm-hmm. There you go.
0: Yeah, really great conversation, great stuff going on uh, at a time where it is incredibly needed. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've got kids, if you've got grandkids, if you've got nieces and nephews, I know I'm going to be purchasing these books as well. I think Jared has already purchased the whole set. He's got four kids. Uh, Jared is a good friend of mine who owns uh, a co-owner with the marketing company that I own.
1: So, I, I, mean, I don't have any kids myself, but mm-hmm. I, I liked the way when I um, talked to him about, okay, here's here's a scenario with the pandemic that we have today, and mm-hmm. people are demanding that you behave a certain way for the good of the people, the good of the collective. And he had good answers for those. So, yeah. um,
0: it's know. a man that's uh, thought things through for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, as always, we like to end on a scripture, and this one comes from Proverbs. It's Proverbs 24 and 5. And it says, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. And we've always heard that um, famous phrase, knowledge is power. And that is exactly what it is. Like the more you know, the more you know. And so that's why we're really encouraging you for this summer. I mean, summer is starting up. uh, And, you know, kids have been home for months anyways. But yeah, bring these uh, books home and learn together um, get more knowledge together, become stronger together, and I guarantee you, uh, your kids are going to go into their next school year really far ahead of probably most, if not all, of their their schoolmates. I mean, what do you think? Uh, would you agree to that? I, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that was the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. You can find us where?
1: Well, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and www.thesonsofhistory.com. Mm-hmm. You can also find us uh, each of us uh, individually in the Epic Times. We both have columns. Um, I'm sure you've written three or four since my last one, so I, I'll let you handle that one. I'm not pacing you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you it's are. It's okay. Though. But I'm going to be coming out with another one this month. Uh, may, maybe two, if yeah. I feel like it. I'll, I'll, I'll whip out we may two. May splurge. Of. And, and, and we also have our own shows. My show is on Tuesday night, appropriately called Tuesday Night History. Yay. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that. It's, it's a lot of fun. We're, we have a growing audience. Yeah, you do. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So, And then you, you have your Thursday night chat live or live chat? Thursday or...
0: night live chats on Instagram live. Instagram. Uh, yours is Facebook live. Both of ours um, are at 9 p.m. Central Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I typically have a guest on there. Uh, Sometimes I go solo, you've been a guest before Uh, So yeah, join us, um, 9 o'clock I mean, it's at night, you're going to be relaxed You're just going to be, you know, whatever It's a great time to either listen to some really good conversation About something uh, affecting the world today Or something along history And you can learn while you're laying in bed or on your couch Getting ready for uh, bedtime Mm. So,
1: yeah Very nice
0: Yeah, join us Um, And if you don't Well, whatever (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you later. Hope you have a great week.